All right, inappropriate Earl, back in the house. Uh, thank you to the great Stephen Guarino for uh, throwing it down uh, on Monday. Very popular episode. Fans of I'm Dying Up Here uh, loved his character, Sully. And uh, we're all just waiting for season two to put on our 70s dusters on and go down to the uh, Culver City uh, sound stages and start acting again. And then uh, Greg Roquet as well. Thank you uh, for coming down. You know, that was a very, uh, Greg's a good dude. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And, uh, you know, a lot of people complain that I, Talk too much about roast battle, and uh, will you try getting people to your fucking house to do your podcast? You take who comes. So uh, today is a non-roast battle. Uh, I'm dying up here episode. Uh, it's actually a stand-up comedy pro wrestling uh, episode. As the guest today, uh, if you've ever been to the comedy store, you know that there's a lot of names on the wall in white. But as many names has are on the wall, there's about 100,000 more than aren't. So it's a big deal to get your name on the wall. Uh, and it takes all kinds of different paths to get your name on the wall to be a paid regular at the comedy store. And that's what we're going to talk about because we have uh, not Josh Martin. We'll get him on soon. But the other newly paid regular, a Big friend of the show, Mr. Lucas Hurl. That's so cool, man. You got the knuckles for the mic? Yeah, these are my... Uh, one of the few sponsors I have for Inappropriate Earl is Mike Knuckles. Nice. Made by the singer from Rat, Stephen Piercy. Rat is back. Three of the original five guys. The one guy who died of AIDS can't make the reunion. And then... Uh, the, they got a couple other guys in on the mix. It's You're a real the rat. rat fan I'll ever know, Earl. Absolutely. Uh, the current lineup is uh, Stephen Piercy on vocals, Warren D. Martini on guitar, Carlos Cavazzo from Quiet Riot on rhythm guitar, the bouncing beaner Juan Cruchet on bass, bass, and uh, some guy named Greg on drums. Uh, they kicked Bobby Blotzer out. Who's the one that looks like Melania Trump? Well, that's a few. Well, that's back in the, the basis day, for White Snake, right? No, that's the uh, yeah. Well, Rudy Sarzo, who's okay, uh, he's been on. Uh, he's been he's done some podcasts, right? He really lucked out because yeah. this is a guy who's what they call a hired gun in the music business, and he went from a struggling musician to Quiet Riot, uh, and then he jumped ship to White Snake right when they started fucking blowing up, uh, and uh, he's played music for 30 40 years consistently God damn. Um, and he was in ozzy before quiet uh riot so the, i mean you look at he was in prime ozzy prime quiet riot prime white snake but he probably didn't make that much money because he wasn't a songwriter he just played the bass well i'm looking at your table you have a bunch of books are you a big reader not really. I just like okay. to have people think I am. Okay. That's I smart. haven't even read Roddy's book. Yeah, uh, I you know, we're both heavily influenced by him. The great Roddy Piper. Yeah. God, he was you know, I would say you, Hinchcliffe, Matt Edgar, myself. Really he took us under our wing his wing and Simone too. Simone brought him in. Um 
I remember we became friends because my first day in LA, September 1st, 09, was his first day sober. And so when I first met him by the old laundry room, which is now a kitchen in the back of the store, he I, he found out I was from Des Moines, Iowa, and he said I'd been arrested there. I bet. <laughs> Probably in every city in America. <laughs> My God. Yeah, but, I mean... Uh, but you remember he used to hang out late night and play the piano in the back. Pretty good, too, to be honest he with you. He got better and better. I mean, it couldn't get any worse, but I mean, like... <laughs> well, uh, I mean, his hands were just, you know, puffed mitts. Yeah, I mean, 40 the, years. God. Of, uh, I mean, I think he started uh, training with Stu Hart in the dungeon at, at 16, and then uh, basically till he was 61, wrestled in some capacity. Not so much the last couple of years, but like... Uh, you know, the, the damage that he did to his body. Right, right. Well, that's what I remember he loved about you, though, is you knew all the weird references he'd have. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean that's why they, I think, kind of brought me on to co-host his podcast because he would lose his train of thought a little bit. You know, he'd be talking about staying for 20 minutes and then he'd just go right into a Von Eric Brothers story. It's like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, no, you've been good for that. You've never done a drug in your life. No, no. So we made a good pair, uh, you know, and then we got kicked off every network because of Stone Cold and his shenanigans. Right. Uh, it's like, get over it, dude. Your gimmick was smashing beer cans on your head. Do you, uh, do you have a feud with Stone Cold right now? I don't. I mean, uh, he blocked me on Twitter. Yeah. I've only been blocked by three people on Twitter. Because I'm not a troll, like I, you know, right, right. Uh, I was blocked by Stone Cold. I was blocked by Bill Cosby, um, <laughs> and then uh, who else was that? But Santino Rice, the fashion designer. But he recently unblocked me. Nice. When uh, one of my gay friends told him what a fan I am, because I, I am a huge fan of Santino Rice. So really, you only been blocked twice now. Yeah, but I technically have been blocked three times. Yeah. Well, actually, there's one more person who's blocked me, but we won't get into who that Does is. Does OJ have a Twitter account? He will. Okay. He, <laughs> I hear it's already set up. No one knows the handle. Um, and then, uh, so I've been technically blocked by four people uh, on Twitter. Uh, three of them are still have blocked me. The fourth one shall remain anonymous. Jim Gadotti. Jim no. Diggity. Is that how you say his name? No. Uh, who passed by? Well, I don't want to get into that. Right, right. Uh, but I think the whole, yeah, the thing makes, makes me laugh. The guy, well, basically, uh, this open micer who's like older than me, which shows you how old he is, uh, passed out a cake that had weed in it or THC oil or something wacky in it. He didn't tell anybody. So all these fucking idiot open micers are running around, driving home high, not knowing what's going on. You know, I mean, you, who knows? He could have he killed somebody. And he hasn't been seen since. So he's probably blocked me because the last uh, week I, I would put out polls on Twitter saying, who's more likely to get booked jim diggity and then i would list like three people like oj hitler and Gaddafi, and uh jim diggity would get like one percent yeah uh oh yeah it'll be definitely within two hours so and but that's the crazy thing about this business is oj's twitter he will get a million followers the first two days Maybe the first day. 
Now, who, if anyone's really swearing out there, they they should just sit on all OJ handle names like OJ Simpson, o, the OJ Simpson, uh, OJ thirty two Simpson kill kills people. Fred Goldman. Oh yeah, Fred Goldman. Uh, he's probably on Twitter. He's lurking in the shadows. Winning Fred Goldman. Yeah, I mean, he won the Heisman Trophy in a lawsuit. Still, it hasn't got it though. I mean, where were you when OJ was just? Gil. Gil Garcia, yes. So at my brother's wedding, Gil was there, and he went up to him and put his hand on my brother's shoulder and said, I heard you're a big OJ fan. Yeah, my brother was, uh, yeah, it was very nice. So, yeah, and now, of course, he's a piece of shit, but, uh, you know, it was the biggest trial we'll ever see. Well, you either think he did it or uh, somehow Nicole and Ron committed suicide, which is possible. Yeah, or uh, like when uh, Lacey Peterson was killed, uh, Mark Garrigo said it was a satanic cult. Uh, and all this time OJ was out, he never really looked for the real killers unless they were on the seventh hole at Riviera. So he's going to have a lot of time. No problem. No, well, oh, my bad. You were hosting that showcase. I was. I really wanted to host that because uh, I like to give back to the community. Uh, and, you know, hosting Potluck is no joke. Well, that you all are funny. Like, that's the crazy thing. It's like I felt like I... W Every time I go into the pound and I want to adopt every dog that I see there, and then you just realize I, I can't even take one because, you know, I already got baby Lois in the fold. But, uh, I mean, everyone did well. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, one or two, maybe not the greatest sets. Cause they seemed unfocused or distracted. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I, I get it. I mean, before my showcase, I had a full-blown panic attack uh, upstairs in my bathroom. I was literally naked, got out of the shower. I had to throw up, but I couldn't. It was really weird. It was like... I, I couldn't throw up, but I knew I had to do it, and I'm just drenched in sweat, uh, like pouring. And I never sweat. Even when I work out, I never sweat. And I just like dripping. And uh, this was like 20 minutes before the showcase. I'm like, I somehow pulled it together and uh, you know got it done. But I mean, I was I was rooting for everyone. Was it your first showcase? Yeah, I got lucky. You know, just had a really good showcase set, and you know, it was like the perfect build. Like the first joke did okay, second joke did a little better, third joke did really good, and it was just like the perfect five minute, not set, but like whatever, right. five, 
Yeah, and you like you're kind of fucked if you stumble out of the gate or like you know, just there's no time to get the crowd back, so you got to like really plan it out. But I love that you told him right before Mint went on stage. You said this is a showcase because six months ago Joe Dosh hosted, and Joe's great, and he didn't tell the crowd it was a showcase. So I remember when you did that because I watched everybody and. They still seem a little, like, stiff. Well, I don't think some of them know really what a big deal it is to get passed. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, because it is, you know, you see literally th- probably thousands of names on the wall. You're like, what's the big deal? But, like, you know, when you consider that probably 80% of those names either are dead or don't really do comedy anymore, it's like, you know, it's a big deal. Like, your name's, it's like the Stanley Cup. Your name is on that wall forever. I mean, in a hundred years from now, your name will be on the wall. You know, my name will be on the wall. Uh, so. Real estate on the building Oh, it's great. I mean, the people who've been past the last two years really lucked out uh, because, uh, you know, you got prime real estate, baby. I mean, uh, so it's, I don't think the general public really, you know, you know they walk up the stairwell to the original room and you know they see probably 200 headshots in that hallway and it's like oh, that guy's dead this girl's dead they don't do comedy anymore so i don't think they really uh, appreciate at least the people who are paid regulars right now going up you know the process that we all had to go through Yeah, it's like this guy's like a huge actor, but uh, he was like a big comic back in the day. Yeah, him and uh, Barry Levinson are like a comic you can find. Yeah, and you like look at like uh, like even in the OR where the red lights, the names that are in the red lights, there's like f- probably what about eight to twelve names in red. Tim Thomerson, right. and people kind of laugh and go, "Who's that? That guy was a huge comic, man." And uh, like he doesn't really do it anymore. Like he, I think he lives like in La Jolla. He's just you know, he had the heyday of the eighties, and he acted. He was really good in the things I saw him in. And uh, you know, I mean, there's so many people that are, you know, Adam could showcase five people a week for the next two years, and he wouldn't run out of people. Uh, so it's a big deal, man. Uh, I mean, literally. Or he could not showcase anyone the next two years. There still aren't enough spots to, to you know, I mean, it, it's so hard. It's like getting on a, a pro football team. Dude, the best pro football team. He passed the story. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's that in the cellar. Uh, I mean, I think so. It's There's no names on the wall, but like it's a, you know, that's like the East Coast comedy store. Uh you know, I guess the two clubs aren't really in competition with each right, other because it's, it's like, the, yeah, and there it's. Uh, I always hear the store is seller like, and the sellers the store like. Uh, the stand in New York is awesome. I mean, that's I. You know, I've never played the seller, but the stand in New York is like where like their roast battle happens. 
and uh, their lineups are killer. Patrick Milligan, shout out to Patrick Milligan, the booker. He don't fuck around. Dude. He's a prison guard in the daytime, so he's seen guys taking it in the ass. Oh, he's the best. I wish everyone in L.A. comedy were, got to deal with Patrick Milligan. You, your attitudes would shape up real fast because he doesn't care about TV credits. He's very much like Adam-like in the sense of you're going to be funny or you're not going to get stage time. You know, you look at the stands lineup. They're very store-like. There's Michael Costa and Theo Vaughn. When they're any store guy or girl who's back there, uh, you know, so it's a great uh, – Oh, it's the best. This store has the most talented store guys you've ever had. Oh, yeah. There's not one unfunny person there, which hasn't always been the case. I mean, you look at, you know, three or four years ago, the freakers that were working, you know, guys leaving their posts to, you know, teabag a tourist in the sound room, uh, you know, uh, homeless kids, you know, blowing people in the parking lot or, you know, uh, it's just like now it's like the store is such a hot place that the employees have to be funny. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you've, you've even seen established comedians come in there recently in like a year or two. And I, I just think, you know, you weren't there when we weren't doing well. Oh, yeah. You weren't there in like the, you know, the mid 2000s when it would be maybe. 20 people in in the fucking room on a saturday night the whole i'm talking for like the prime lineup yeah. you know now it's there's there's so many like people that you they added a 7 30 show that's always sold out i mean even last saturday i was on the 7 30 show and it was during the fight mayweather mcgregor fight and there's probably 100 people in there if that mayweather fight was Five years ago, six years ago, there literally would have been under ten people in that room. Yeah, I mean, look at that the la the last show we did together. I, I mean, there was probably forty people in there. Uh, you know, twelve forty five one ish. Uh, you know, I don't know who sat the room. There was no one in front of you, but twenty people on the right, twenty people to the left. So, uh, but. There isn't, and, and uh, I think probably New York comics and Chicago comics are like, how good could it be? Come here. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, like, the lineups are just insane. I mean, you know, I think tonight, uh, are you on tonight or Josh Martin? Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at the lineup tonight. I mean, it's, you know, Rogan, Dalia, Jeselnik, uh, you know, Jeff Ross, Sebastian, I mean, uh, you know, Kevin Christie, like uh, Theo Vaughn. I mean, it's just like in uh, killer after killer after killer. And so even the comics who are going on at like 1245 and one are, uh, you know, uh, go. Yeah, you can't. I think Rogan said it's like you can't even do new material here anymore because it's like the stakes are too high. I mean, he probably could. But like guys like you and me, we can't. Like five, six years ago, you could fuck around. And, you know, but now it's like, you know, if you're on stage like we are later in the lineup, you know, Rogan could be watching you. Hey, maybe he needs a new opener. Let me see what this guy's got or girl. Oh, he watched me about a month ago. I don't think he'd ever see me do stand up. And uh, 
he, he sat down right as I went on. I'm like, fuck, I hope I don't bomb. Uh, you know, because he's pretty hardcore on, you know, if you're not funny. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Well, he's, I mean, he's, uh, yeah, I think he does. I mean, he doesn't hide it. I don't know if he volunteers it to you, like gets in your face about it. But even if he did, he, what are you going to do about it? He's a fourth degree black belt. Yeah, that's what I like Yeah, oh, yeah. And and now you're an idiot if you miss the spot. Well, you won't. So you won't get another one for a while. Right. I mean, because it's like, listen, none of us are really needed at the store, to be honest. I mean, even the biggest names, if they said, "Fuck it, I'm not going to be here anymore." There's, you know, five big names who uh, would gladly take your spot. You know, and uh, I mean, you got big name comics who can't get in at the store. It's just there's not enough room. Oh, there's a great Mormon comedy here at Seinfeld. And Seinfeld talks about moving up to the comedy store in NCCN. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, you you have to be, uh, you know, delusional and persistent. But, you know, how hard must that have been for some guy who's obviously incredibly funny uh, just getting said, nah, you don't do it for me. I mean, what are you going to do? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's what you uh, uh oh, watch out, we're live, we're back live. We had a mic, uh, I better speak into that. We going? Yeah, yeah, we're going. Right, Sorry we're about going. that, I guess. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, so yeah, it is what you make of it. Like, it, there's a lot of people who get passed at the store, or not a lot, but there's a few people who get passed there. Nothing happens for them because it's like, okay, I've made it. Not really. I mean. Right, but now more than ever, I swear to God, the day I got past Earl was better than my birthday, Christmas, all that combined. I got so many phone calls and texts from all sorts of people, and I, I'm telling you, man, I'll never forget it. It was, I'd been in a bike wreck like the week before, two weeks before, so I got ran over by a car, and I was dealing with insurance companies and all this crap, and... uh then 11.34, the phone rang, and it was Adam. And I picked it up, and I didn't know what he was calling to say because, you know, Adam's a good enough man that he would call me even if I didn't get past. Right. To Absolutely. say, like, this is, you know, why and what. Um, and he worded it perfectly where... <laughs> You know, I was so nervous, and he just said, you know, there, I was rooting for you and all this, and, and for a few minutes, he just talked about, like, the set and what happened, and then he ended it by saying, congratulations, you're past. And then, dude, I cried right then. And you know when you're on the phone with someone, you can tell they're crying. That's what it was with him, and quickly hung up. And then right then, I got a text from Josh Martin saying, have you heard anything? 
And Adam said, you know, hey, wait a few, you know, wait a bit before you say anything, post anything. And then literally within 10 minutes, text after text after text. Because that that paid regular, you know, it's a it's a real brotherhood and sisterhood where kind of all the paid regulars call you or talk to you or, you know, say something. Well, it's like, uh, it's almost like, uh, even if you don't like certain people, it's like, hey, you're passed up here too. Like, you know, it's, it's like, because uh, it's, it's tough and it's only yeah. going to get tougher. It's crazy validation. Yeah. The standards have been raised now to like, you know, uh, mainly in part to Adam and, Eric Anderson, the the GM or whatever yeah. his title is. It's I mean, busier than ever. It's busier than ever. They're you know, you know, you're lucky if you get one spot a week there. Like, yeah. like it's just like. But now, Earl, it's just finding any spot I can. It's signing up on Mondays. Yeah. Doing fallouts on Tuesday, Wednesdays. I do kind of like that. Like even like even if you're a paid regular on Mondays. You're basically reduced back to being an open micer. You got to sign up. It's a lottery for paid regulars. You might go on first. You might have to wait literally three hours and go on 18th at, you know, two in the morning right before the guy in the green suit. So, uh, Barris did the coolest thing for me last night. He showed up kind of like right at the last minute and I was getting ready to go on for the first fallout and, He's like, oh, Lucas is here. Just let him get, you know. So I got to do a few minutes and then bring Barris up. Yeah, I mean, Don's always been very uh, giving with his stage time. If he knows, because Don goes, Don Barris goes on, uh, closes out the show most every night, does, you know, 40 minutes to an hour, and it's great always. But, uh, you know, if he knows there's someone like you or me waiting just to do five minutes, he'll let us do that. He doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's. you know, very supportive uh, environment, you know, and it's it really is like a family. All the waitresses love each other and they love us. And Dude, I remember when you had long curly hair and you were playing drums every night. Yeah, that was in my dark days going, I'm never going to get past up here because Tommy didn't like me right. for whatever reason. Dude. I mean, we're both racist. I mean, he's racist, and I, I'm just kidding. Maybe you're too much alike. Uh, I don't know what happened. You know, luckily, uh, he was let go for whatever reasons, and, uh, you know, I was lucky enough that Adam had seen me at the Tempe Improv, like, in 2011, so I kind of had an inside lead Yeah. Uh, on, uh, you know, showcasing. Adam had... Yeah. Because, I mean, I, it was hard for him because everyone was like, dude, you got to pass Earl. You got to pass Earl. He's, like, been up here forever. He deserves it more than anyone or whatever they were telling him. I mean, literally every comic. Yeah. And uh, so he was like, hey, dude, uh, you know, I'm going to showcase you, but, you know, I can't pass you if you're not, like, if you don't deliver. Right. Which I think is what all all of us want from any talent booker. It's just honesty. Right. You know, Tommy was like not the most honest guy with you. He would encourage you to hang out and, you know, whatever the hell that would do and like be cool. And it's like, I don't want to hang out and be cool. I want to go up. He yeah. told so many headliners to hang out on Mondays. Like, who did he tell some? You tell the story. I'm talking too much. Well, I, well, I, I know Jeselnik. Jeselnik did Angelo Bauer's main room benefit you know, a few years ago. And uh, Tommy goes up to him, you know, Jeselnik kills. And he says, well, I want you to hang out here, you know. You get it. And Jeselnik says straight up, I'm a headliner. I'm not going to 
You know, I'm not going to play your games. Yeah, I mean that's like I mean that's Anthony Jessen like you schmuck. Uh, <laughs> but 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 Adam, he straight up told people, "Hey, you're just not my style." I mean, he he's honest with you, good or bad. Uh, you know, and and but I think even the, I don't know who he's told. Hey, you know, maybe you don't do it for me, but I'm sure deep down those people appreciate it because it's like, okay, I won't waste my time up here. Yeah, if I have no chance of getting stage time, I'm going to go to the Improv or the Laugh Factory or the Ice House or Hermosa or um, you know Sal, even Sal's Comedy Hole, which is like a money laundering place for the Armenian mob. Uh, but you know, that's all I think people want is you know uh, just a, a direction of what am I doing? What do I need to do to get right. past up here? Right, uh, you and know. be funny. Yeah, like that's, I mean, that's that's Adam. Re that's really all that seems to matter. If you're funny at the store right now, that's it. Yeah, it's it's not like you and me are moving ticket sales. I mean, right. you know, we get probably maybe three or four people come up to see us when we have a spot. Right. But uh, you can do well at one a.m. Oh, you can do well anywhere. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, uh, you know, I went back to New York to judge naked roast battle. And uh, Patrick Milligan from the stand got me a couple spots around town. And, you know, New York crowds are very tough. They're very comedy snobs. And, uh, you know, some L.A. comics would struggle in New York because these crowds, they're not industry crowds. They're like, make me laugh. I just worked 70 hours this week. And, uh, you know, I got through it pretty well. Whereas, uh, you know... Also, what the store does is they have showcases with, with you know, we used to not have that with Tommy. Yeah, Tommy would just pass people randomly. Yeah, and, so the, the fan, for, you know, the, the fun was gone kind of out of it. Well, yeah, it was just, and then you had people like me who, like, you know, it's like, we didn't really, well, how do I get in here then if there's no showcases? He's just randomly, you know. Uh, yeah, you were hanging out late night six nights a week oh it's the worst i mean it was great because i got to do the band with don but it was like i'm a comic man i want to go up yeah you know uh and that's how i thought uh i could get past it's like well i'll do uh i'll do this and uh, you know hopefully tommy thinks i'm funny and then maybe i'll get a, a showcase or whatever and that certainly wasn't helping so uh yeah know. tommy he hired me he uh he brought me in when i hadn't i'd never gone on you know, I'd never performed before I worked at the comedy store or before I hung out there. You know, I grew up in Iowa, so there wasn't really anything at the time to anywhere to go. And I remember he asked me, you know, can you park cars? Well, well, can you drive stick shift? Doesn't matter. Find someone who can. And that's what he'd say. And he hired, I took Jimmy Pitt's spot. Well, well there you go. Right. Jimmy Pitt. Uh Jimmy Legend. I think he's in Buffalo with Tommy right now. So thanks really do uh come full circle. Come uh, full circle uh when you But the the only time Tommy ever yelled at me and I'm so thankful that I'm so thankful I got passed with Josh Martin because I love Josh. He's one of my best friends. Good man. Good man. Interesting man. Uh great heart. Because the only time Tommy ever yelled at me, I remember I was changing pot soda nozzles like on a Friday back bar shift at like 6 p.m., you know, so I'm just getting in. And he hadn't had his weed yet. 
And you ever you ever talk to Tommy before, like when he during the day when he hadn't smoked, you know, four joints. Yes. He was he's very intense and he said, you know, Luke, what's your deal? <laughs> he said, You're screwing around up there. Are you gonna let Josh Martin surpass you? Wow, I mean, and Earl, this was like, I mean, this was a long time ago. So Josh was, Josh was being hazed at the time and singing like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer on his potluck sets because the door guys would try to force him. He couldn't pronounce his R's. I'll never forget that. Ever since then, I and it, it, you know, Tommy had some interesting things to say. No doubt about that. <laughs> well, I mean, some of them are shifty. So. <laughs> he was the most racist when he worked the phones. Any phone guy at the store will tell you that. Well, I mean, it's crazy that he was in power for that long when everyone knew his uh, interesting views on society. Well, I was talking to Owen Smith a couple nights ago about how when he was passed, it was back in the days when supposedly Mitzi would watch a tape of you. Remember that, like Tommy said, you know, and you know, Mitzi likes you, or yeah. but but you know, you wouldn't be performing in front of her. Yeah, I mean, that was I think when she first started not show, coming to the club as much as she uh, was, and I think Tommy would take VHS, ta literal VHS tapes, up to her house, and you know, uh, I think Jess and Martindale might have been the last paid regular to be passed by Mitzi seeing him right on stage, and I think Jason Tebow was the last person to be like a non-paid regular like but he can get spots it's really kind of a weird uh, yeah that belly room development spots or whatever uh so uh i mean you know when i had him on uh this podcast for about 18 hours uh you know i kind of grew to uh appreciate his craziness but uh, i also knew he was never going to pass me even though he kind of lied and said, well, you were the next guy. Right. And I knew he gave Adam a list of five names to pass or showcase, and I wasn't on that list. So uh, it's like, why are you lying to me still? I mean, dude, you're gone from the store. You could just say I, you weren't my type of comic or, you know, you didn't do it for me or whatever. But, you know, he had his way of running things. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's. Um, he made us all tough. I mean, uh, he, he helps. He's an interesting guy. I mean, if he started his car for 10 minutes in California to get it warmed up, I don't know what he's going to do in fucking Buffalo. I mean, must start start the car 12 hours and uh, hop into it. But uh, Brent and Biddlecombe and I had to help Tommy move apartments one time, one day. It's a whole day. The two nicest guys helping maybe the most insane guy. And his girlfriend's was just belittling him and for you know those couples that fight right in front of other people and it's yeah, just it, it's just a bad situation all around no one wants to be there and you know she's just making these just these petty comments about tommy and how he he's he won't lift anything heavy because he's never worked hard in his life and you know his parents paid for everything and it was just so it was. It, it, I remember there was a noose in the moving in the moving van, and Billicombe oh. put it around his neck and took a picture. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm saving. Don't scratch the walls, just in case any of them attack. 
But yeah. So well, luckily. So that was back in the day when, like, and I, you know, I drove Mitzi around Beverly Hills one afternoon. I asked Joe the other day. I'm like, do door guys still kind of do the, you know, those things that those miscellaneous errands that we used to do, you know, right? That just show you kind of how bad you want it. And do they? No, it's not that. Yeah. Well, I don't think she's as mobile as she used to be. Right. I mean, I'm not sure, but uh, Tommy, told, I had a Toyota Corolla that reminded him of Alfred's, who you know was her assistant. Right. So Tommy was in the back seat, and Missy's in the front, and I stopped by Canners and I picked up her favorite cookies, and then I played her favorite music, and I got all this info from Elnor. I'm okay. like, you know, what what's she into? And she said, that, you know, she, she likes this, this, and, and I did, and. I charmed her, and really the only annoying part was maybe Tommy in the back. But, well, you know, I mean... Well, I ain't driving too fast. A white guy shouldn't be driving a white guy around. So <laughs> it's not the way it works. Uh, I tried to get Doc Richardson, uh, Don Richardson, to do it, but he's late. So, okay. God, even on Mondays, man, signing up for that you know paid regular spot, you're right, dude. It's the end of an... It's the back of a new line. Yeah, it's like it just... I mean, yeah, and, you know, like... Uh, you know, even though you're paid regular at the store, you've arrived, so to speak. Now you're the newest paid regular, so you're going to get the opening spot or the closing spot. Yep. So it's a whole, like, you know, it's it's like you might be a star in AAA, but you get to the, the Dodgers, you're the 25th guy in the Dodgers. Yeah. You know, so it's... Uh, and, you know, like we said, it's what you make of it. You know, it's... A, couple people have been passed the last couple of years it's like nothing's happened for them because they just all right i'm in the i'm in at the store right well you know right right i've got i'm it's crazy when i got past the store i got spots at other clubs because of it oh yeah because it's everyone knows it's the number one club or whatever the number yeah. one with the seller and the stand and yeah the improv uh, you know i mean it's just i mean how many people do you say i oh, got i wish it was passed at the laugh factory you know, and that's a great club. But you know, how many people? I mean, Hermosa. Like people want to get past that because they just treat you so well there. Like mm -hmm. they'll give you a steak dinner even if you're not on the lineup. So you could be sit in the green room with the people who are on the lineup, and the you know, it's like that they do it right as well. I mean, they but they're kind of a niche. Like they cater to the upper class beach beach goers of uh, Hermosa and Manhattan, but they do it right. I mean. Mm -hmm. You know, Ice House as well. They cater to, you know, the, I wouldn't say primarily Latino Pasadena crowd, but like they got it going on. Yeah. I mean, most nights their right. side room and main room are packed. Yeah. Uh, the Ice House and Comedy Store, the two Rogan goes to. Yeah. So that tells you something. I yeah. Mean, uh, and he can play any club in the country. Yeah. Uh, and even he probably gives preference to the store. Because oh, it's just sure. so, it's magical. Like, you know, it, it, you know. It's the same thing. I mean, Roddy Piper called it the Hells Angels of comedy clubs. Oh, yeah, because not every comic is accepted there. Like, you know, you you got to be cool, you know, and it's like. <laughs> but when you tweet about the Palmers and oh, all that, it's, it's the funniest thing to me. Because, I listen, I'm there five, six nights a week, and I see it every night. And you see people getting ahead, and, you know, you see them. We're still golden. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I just check the time from time yeah. to time. And uh, 
yeah, I mean, it's it's the most honest place, but then you you get characters on the other extreme. Well, yeah, yeah, I, and I noticed it a lot, and I've talked about it a few times, you know, because Roast Battle is like a very popular show there, and it's it's still going strong. I mean, as long as I've been doing comedy, I've never seen a show so popular like Roast Battle right, for this right. long. Three years, it's sold out every week. Right, and I've been bartending in the back every Tuesday. Yeah. And like, so I see, you see these people, that I, I see some that I've never seen there any other night. Yeah, they're like ordering drinks from you or they're, they're I mean, technically, they're not even supposed to walk through the kitchen. Right. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not talking about anyone in particular. I mean, I've had my problems with some people on the show, but I'm, I'm really not talking about them. It's, you know, a lot of roast battler, uh, battlers in general, like, you know, from the technical standpoint, they're not even supposed to be in the back VIP bar. That's paid regulars and their friends. Right. Uh, and even really in the in the back patio, the outdoor thing. And they just r run around the place like they own it. And, uh, and it's you, a quick way to be hated there. Well, I don't think they, they're, I, I just don't understand their long-term thinking of, you know, no show lasts forever. You know, and, and uh, Roast Battle's not going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, it's because there's still tons of great battles to see and uh, all that. But, like, you know, people don't care <laughs> where you are in the rankings now. You right. think in two years or 10 years, whenever the show's not around, that you're going to get passed because you were ranked number seven? You know, so it's going to be interesting to see. Like, and I just picked Roast Battle because that's like the number one show in town. You but know. also, I what you really, I mean, when you were on the Montreal, uh, Montreal screw job, yeah, the Montreal screw job. Now I know how Bret Hart feels, right? But I survived. <laughs> but that that's what you brought to it, and what I think Alex Hooper brings to it too is that professional wrestling aspect. Well, yeah, because we get it. Yeah, you know, so it's not if just, you lose, put on a show. It's not just a joke writing. Uh, competition if that was the case we would just email comedy central our jokes and they'd announce the winner in between half hour specials right uh you know and uh, hooper's someone i admire a lot because uh, you know what he did recently or maybe it wasn't recently it was like maybe three months ago whenever it was where uh it was uh new york versus la um you know he went to new york with the la belt he went to the champions, uh, Eli Sayers, who's a great dude. Two huge wrestling fan, super nice guy, great battler. But he went to uh, Eli's home, basically his home club, was judged by uh, people who are, probably don't know who Hooper is and are more familiar with Eli. Uh, and even though he lost, you know, to me, he won because he, he did the total pro wrestling, went into the enemy building to take on, you know, the most well-liked guy in the room. And right. it, it, no one really knew who he was in, in New York and uh, a lot of respect for Hooper. Right. For doing he remembered that. him. Yeah. I mean, it's like, wow. I mean, you know, that that's I don't even know if I would do that. I'd go to New York where I'm not really that known. Yeah. Uh, uh, judge or battle someone who's the judges are know him more than me. Uh, you know, yeah. it's like the odds were stacked against Hooper from the second he said, I'll do it. Oh yeah. So I appreciate that. And just as my, uh, you know, I don't want to really talk about roast battle that much today, but you know, since we're both wrestling fans, it's like, you know, 
in wrestling and comedy in general. I mean, that's why Piper would hang out the store till the bitter ends. Is is it's so similar. You come up with a character and you sell the hell out of that character. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really a good roast joke writer. Uh, I don't like. It's not my style of humor to sit there and go, "You're fat. You're you're young. You're." You're old. You're this. You're that. I, I like to do that about myself. Oh. Uh, but you know, I sold out a little bit because it's like, well, you know, I'm here. I am, thirteen, fourteen years into comedy. I don't really have a lot going on. Uh, you know, this is a show that uh, you know I think I could be good at. Let's see what happens. Yeah, know. but you're funny. Yeah, but that doesn't. Uh, I know, I know, but I'm saying really, the moral victory is. You have something that some people never get. Well, the moral victory for me was I kept getting uh, battles that they were almost unwinnable. Like no one wanted me to beat Jesse Joyce, who's an amazing roaster, amazing comic, great dude. But, you know, here I am trying to get on a Comedy Central show and having to take on Comedy Central's number one roast writer. Right. Like it's like, you know... <laughs> I, I'm sure they weren't rooting for me. And then my bracket in Montreal, like, you know, it was, uh, let's just say, the hardest bracket in roast battle history. Did you get anything for finishing in the top? I got uh, 10 grand, plus you got little bonuses each round you, you uh, passed. So it was like mm -hmm. the, the pay is great. Okay. I mean, it's all, I mean, the taxes are crazy, but, you know, it, you know, it, it's, it was great. Uh, you know, to be on Comedy Central four nights in five days. Right. I, mean, I literally hadn't been on TV once in 13, 14, 15 years. Well, so. Uh, I was telling Moses when we were lifting weights, I'm like, dude, I would rather be a paid regular at the store. This was before I was passed. I said, I'd rather be get passed at the store than get new faces. Well, you don't. Uh, would you I'm, agree with that? I mean, I auditioned for new faces four years in a row and didn't get it. So, I mean, I wanted new faces. But, I, yeah, I mean, because I think, uh, you know, new faces is once a year it happens. And then, you know, okay, that's it. Right. You know, and I think people think, oh, my God, I got new faces. I'm going to be a star tomorrow. It's just it's different now. You know, it's like if you got new faces in 1987, you probably had a year's worth of road work lined up two days later yeah but it's just different now yeah uh, kevin christie told me he's like a 36 year old new face yeah and i mean it, well i'm fuck i mean i'm you know i mean looking back now i probably what in my case held me back was my age like i mean i think when i auditioned i was maybe in my early 40s this is like, wow that's not really a new face i mean i was unknown but like i think they want you know kids in their early 20s you know right. the that are they can mold into whatever uh so i'd much rather be a paid regular at the store yeah because it's just you get to go up once or twice a week and then do fallouts so you can almost go up as many as four times a week you, you do monday tuesday wednesday the fallouts and the, the potluck and then you hopefully get a spot a week that's four times and the number one club in the country or whatever it is, 1A with the cellar and the stand. Yeah. Uh, whereas New Faces, you do a couple showcases in Montreal, and then it's like, all right, what do you got? You yeah. Know? That showcase, that Monday night at the store that you hosted, I remember like Ron Taylor and a couple other guys going on who like hadn't been there two years, so weren't technically showcasing. 
and Ron always brings it, and he did that night. But I just remember thinking, like, these guys really should bring it because Adam's still watching them. Oh, yeah. I mean, Adam's, you know, unlike Tommy, Adam watches probably 80% of the show from the first on Potluck to, you know, uh, till when Frazier takes over, you know, four, three hours later. So uh, although it's it's tougher to get in at the store than ever, I think it's also uh, easier from a standpoint of Adam actually watches. Yeah. Like Tommy didn't really watch. He'd, you know, whatever he would do in the booth for a few of the comics on Pollock, and then he'd go smoke weed and play guitar. <laughs> it's like, dude, this is like 8.30 in the evening. What are you doing? Uh, so, you know. He did have a beautiful voice. I really liked his music, to be honest with you. I just could never tell him because I think he thought it'd be palming him. Yeah. Uh, you know, but he just... You know, I don't think he had a, a finger on the pulse of what was happening. You know, I mean, he told Rob Schneider something along the lines of, uh, yeah, you can come up on Monday, so I'll work you in. It's like, what are you talking about? Crazy. Whether you like Rob Schneider as a comic or an actor or whatever, he's a star. Yeah. You put his name up on the marquee, it's a sellout in any room. You know, instead you're putting up, you know, I won't say names, but literally the guy who gave you weed last week. But literally so i mean adam's the complete opposite where he realizes if i bring schneider in he'll bring spade in if i bring spade in maybe sandler comes in you know and it's just like a dominoes you know so it's you know two completely different uh styles of and it's i'll give tommy this because hosting pot like i get a little taste of what a talent booker or whatever deals with hardest job in the world yeah by far yeah I mean, your job is to basically tell at least at at the comedy store at least 200 comics every week no sorry can't get you up why is this guy or girl getting two spots i, I don't know what adam tells them but like it's like well blah 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 well how come i can't get one spot it's like i got 100 spots a week 400 people call in for spots you know, if someone's a big comic, you know, you know, Rogan, he's going to get three to four spots, rightfully so. You know, Hinchcliffe's, you know, got uh, a hot podcast, a special out. He's going to get a couple spots. Uh, you know, Theo Vaughn's got a Netflix special out and multiple things going on. He's going to get so like, you know. But that's what, when you host, because you're kind of you and Theo are that level where. <laughs> You're a little more palm proof. I mean, I I can't really be palmed because I don't really need anything from anyone. Right. I mean, unless you're fucking Judd Apatow, uh, who, and say uh, even though he didn't vote for me in Montreal. No, he didn't. No. I mean, Tiana beat me. I can't complain about that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm a little. Uh, I don't know why I was given the two toughest people in my bracket. Oh, you never forget. I mean, I know Mike Lawrence won it, and he's great, but I, in my opinion, uh, I had the two toughest people, not on my side, but in my bracket. So uh, I'm a little curious as to why someone wanted me out early, but it didn't quite work out for whoever that person was. I retire Comedy Central employees who want to battle. Amen. I beat everyone put in front of me. 
You ain't taking me down. While other people are giving easy slots to the finals, I clawed my way in. Suck on that. God damn. You want me back on season three? I'm picking who I battle. You don't? Go on the Comedy Central Twitter feed. Go on the Roast Battle Twitter feed. And I'll pay out of my own pocket a Comedy Central intern to get all the tweets that say, bring back this roaster. They're all me. (laughs) All of it. It's not one other person's mentioned ever. (laughs) So if you're Comedy Central's listening, read the tweets. Tweets don't lie. Season two wasn't quite as good. It had something missing. Who was better behind the mic to you, Piper or Rick Rude? Me. Oh, sorry. No, no. That's that's, that's a good, that's a very Tommy answer. No, I'm just kind of, well, yeah. Barry Katz called. He's the most talented person here. I said me. Well, I'll say, <laughs> I mean, I love how everyone's Tommy impression turns into an Edward G. Robinson impression. So, okay. Right. Isn't it know. funny? Uh, I get, would say, uh, well, they're both great. Uh, I mean, I probably identified a little more with Rick Rude just because you knew he couldn't be serious. Yeah. Like, you know, just going out into a 20,000 seat arena and calling some fat slob in the front row a fat slob. <laughs> no one's that big of a dick. Uh, and then Piper was a little more cerebral, like had a Jake the Snake kind of like yeah. methodical, you know, s- storyline weaving insults where Rick Rude was just, I'm better than all of you. I got the biggest dick in the room. I've got the best body in the room. And now hit the music. And, and he had this beautiful body. Uh, so and he wore uh, a lot of pink. Not really. Uh, he probably. I mean, Ric Flair's probably worn more pink uh, than Rick Rude. But uh, I almost for my the first uh, battle I wanted to do in Montreal because I know it's a wrestling town. Uh, there was a pair of Rick Rude uh, used worn uh, wrestling tights on eBay for fourteen hundred dollars. And I was about to buy them so I could wear them. And then uh, I guess they had lips on the front that looked too much like the Rolling Stones logo. Yeah. And even though it's not the Rolling Stones logo, I was told uh, I couldn't wear them. I would have spent $1,400. And you would have won. I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, I mean, I followed you on, what was it, Wednesday night, and you were wearing those leather pants. I told you afterwards, everything you had in every pockets. single one of your pockets you could see. Yeah, I mean, I think I had my phone in my back pocket. Yeah. I had, like, my remote control for the garage in the front with the house keys. You had something in every pocket, the I remember. Car keys in the left pocket. And then wallet. Uh, you know, yeah, and then the wallet. Yeah, it's uh, four pockets. Well, I try to stand out, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to tell a joke where people are like, wow, that's amazing. But, you know, how many comics are wearing leather pants? <laughs> So, you know, I try to get it, you know, fashion forward. You get it. I mean, that's what it seems to be is half the hype. That's why wrestling is so, it's so similar to comedy. You know, there's guys that, you know, in wrestling, there's guys that were terrible behind the mic, but had great technique. Yeah. Like Roman Reigns. Yeah. He's horrible on the mic. But his technique is great. He's got the great, he's got a great body and the hair. So they'll, they'll. Yeah, it just seems... Suffer. Does he realize the crowd doesn't like him, you think? Who knows, man? He's probably been hitting the head so many times with a chair, he doesn't even know what arena he's in, (laughs) uh, let alone if the crowd likes him or not. But, uh, 
Well, you know, we, some guys have it and some don't. Like you can't force a guy or a girl to be funny. Like you're like you're funny. You can't like you know force. You know, it's just like uh, to you know, to my generation of wrestling fans though. The Rock was the best behind the mic to me. Oh yeah, and he's not the greatest wrestler. He's got a few basic moves and and that's it. But his mic skills are so good that. People don't really care if he's a good wrestler. Ric Flair's not really like a great wrestler. He just he basically has like four or five basic moves: the figure four, the Ric Flair flop, uh, you know, the chop, and uh, you know, uh, the Ultimate Warrior was a horrible wrestler. <laughs> he had two moves: the Gorilla Press Slam and shaking the ropes. But he's still one of the most memorable people because of his wacky promos and. You know, all that bullshit. So, uh, you know. Piper seemed to be the best of both. Yeah, I would say he was the best of both. I mean, I think Chris Benoit was the opposite, where no one could touch Chris Benoit wrestling-wise, but his mic skills were horrendous. Yeah. Uh, And his, uh, you know, his life-saving abilities were even worse. Where's the kids' tag team partner, man? Too soon, Earl. Too soon. Well, at least we know the crossface works. Oh, God. My favorite part was that, like the whole weekend, no one really knew what happened with Ben Wana's family. So Monday night, the WWE pulls out this amazing tribute to him. What a great guy he is. Fa- loved his family. And then, you know, on Tuesday, uh, it was like, oh, well, we better erase that footage. Right. So, oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I was such a, I was a teenager. I was a kid. And I used to hate it when a wrestler would die because I knew that whole Raw would be dedicated to that wrestler. You remember well, that? And they do like they would change the original programming. Oh yeah, but nowadays Piper got like a two minute tribute, right? And they didn't even use his fucking T-shirts from RowdyRoddyPiper.com. It was a WWE uh, T-shirt, so Piper probably didn't get any money. Not that it's about money, but like you think, okay, right. let's let's order a hundred shirts for everyone to wear from. Uh, rowdyroddypiper.com instead they use the WWE ones you know so they can profit off of death <laughs> did you ever work out with Roddy uh not really i mean there was one time at 24 hour fitness while i was doing cardio next to him while he was stretching uh no no but he was you did though right i did yeah tell us about that well you know there he doesn't believe in drinking water during the workout, he 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 always said, you know, shrivel yourself like a raisin, and then during the day, hydrate a lot, so you're like a plum. But he always, you know, his son Colt was and hopefully still is a UFC fighter. I don't believe he is. He isn't anymore. Okay, I'm a great kid. Oh yeah, he's the best. The whole Piper family. Is yeah, yeah. And but he would train with his son, so he was still working out. You know, supposedly three or four hours a day, not drinking water. He would he would let you go to a fountain, wet your mouth, and then spit it out. That old school kind of boxing training. But man, he would he would do you know full compound movements that definitely worked. But he'd also be in a corner like air punching your face to see if you'll blink. You know, and, and people will be looking at you. And a couple people recognized him, which is cool. Because he, he knew just how to handle that. I mean, I, I saw that guy give wads of cash to homeless people. And I saw him, you know, we would work out for a few hours. And then we'd go to 7-Eleven and he'd get 
two hot dogs and a diet Dr. Pepper and say, you know, you got to feed the soul too. Well, he did, man. I mean, when, when we would do his morning podcast, he had like three or four cans of Red Bull at the. I was like, "Oh, that's cool." He brought me a couple, and like, "Uh, uh-uh. right, these are mine, brother." So, uh, yeah, but he was he was the best, man. I, I almost think about him every day. Like, he was such a good dude, right? It's like seeing Batman walk around the club. Like, it's the know. crazy thing about the comedy store is you'll latch on to certain groups and certain people, and they'll keep you going. Because I wouldn't have made it this seven and a half years, actually eight. Today's my eighth year in LA without the store and without, you know, I met him when I was only a couple months in it. Well, yeah, it's such a magical place. I mean, my, uh, let's say my last two girlfriends have come directly from the store. Really? Late Uh, night? Uh, yeah, I mean, the first one was, uh, you know, me and, uh, with, well, actually both from Roast Battle, you know, where I just met them at Roast Battle and we, you know, we just, you know, uh, you know, bonded and, you know, whatnot. Uh, so it's really, uh, I mean, so many relationships have started and ended at, uh, the comedy store. Yeah. I don't really believe in, <laughs> yeah, I, I've never started a relationship at the store yet. I don't know. There's six, Jim Carrey met his first wife there, I guess. Oh, yeah. So well, I mean, Franken. you know, if you're working there a lot, you know, you see the same people there. And, you know, especially like with Rose Battle, you see the you have to interact with the same people every week, you know. And so you're, you know, you're almost forced to, you know, I mean, no one else is going to meet you at the comedy store at one in the morning. Like, you know, you're, so you just around the people who are there. I remember that though. Where you did you you got on roast bat, battle right away? I was when in there it started, day one. You were yeah. Uh, Do you remember the first battle? Oh yeah, it was Josh Martin and Kenny Lyon. Yeah, and were you sitting in the same seats? No, it was like there was no one in there, so there yeah. were there almost were no seats in there. And they started arguing, and then Moses was like, "Once you got, you can't really fight, you know, because they wanted to fist fight each <laughs> yeah, other." Yeah, because uh, Kenny Lyon's a wild card. Uh, and you know, Josh back then was a wild card, uh, not the happy go lucky guy he is now. Uh, and so then literally it just started from that one idea with two at the time open micers. And I don't like saying open micers because that's like a dismissive term, but I mean, it, you it's know, what it was, it, it is what it is at that time. And uh, you know, I've never seen a show like go from a nothing t- six people in the room to season three and, and charging strong. So, uh, you know, but I think in my involvement, it was like, all right, we love Earl, but, you know, we can't really have an Archie Bunker type of character on Comedy Central. Uh, we have a thing called sponsors. Uh, can he battle? And I think they set up a battle with me and the legend of Joe Dosh. Uh, and, uh, I think that was a battle that, you know, I've never really been told a lot about roast battle in terms of behind the scenes stuff. It's really none of my business, but I think that was a battle that maybe sold the show to comedy central from the standpoint of, uh, it really had everything, you know, it had a great battle with me and Joe cause we're super good friends and like nothing, uh, 
he could say to me is going to hurt my feelings and vice versa. There's nothing I can say to him that he's going to be like, don't do it. Plus, you have a lot to go after. Yeah, and he does too, you know, yeah. uh, age for me and young girls and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, how do, I don't get how these people battle each other when they hardly know anything about one another. That makes no sense to me. Well, I think it's a, a better show if you're battling someone uh, you know and you, you know you got the inside scoop on and uh you know uh, but that's just my opinion but you know also in that battle uh one of the judges joe DeRosa, who's an awesome dude he kind of attacked me playfully and and then i attacked him and then me and joe dosh kind of stopped battling each other and we're just shitting on DeRosa, just manhandling him and the wave was great. Cena, who's the Saudi prince and, and does what I used to do, the heckler. It was just like the perfect show to showcase the greatness of the show. Yeah. Like everything. The judges were funny. It was, I think it was Eddie Ift, Kirk Fox, Jay Okerson, and, and uh, Joe DeRosa. And, uh, and they were filming all of it. Yeah. And, and Moses was great. And so it was just like the perfect, you know, I think that was okay. Earl can battle, and this is what this is what this show's about. We just caught it. Um, so, and then you know, the show's still going strong. So, how come you don't do it? You know, I kind of half-assed challenged Mervis one time back when he was working there, and he shot it down. Well, it's not for everyone. It isn't. I mean, you got to really fucking put yourself out there and. Uh, you know, it's even why I kind of had to walk away from the show for a few months. Just, uh, you know, if you, it's everyone knows everyone's business in that room. Half the room is fucked the other half of the room. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's always, uh, you know, there's not family trees at the roast battle. There's fucking family forest. Uh, <laughs> you know, so that gets weird when there's, you know, battlers who've you know you got this person's fucked your ex-girlfriend or you know whatever you fuck someone's ex-girlfriend in the and room then the exes show up to the battle and yeah, they, they, are they in the next crying. battle uh <laughs> you know i mean if you were to do a a chart a pie chart of the top 50 roasters and who's had sex with who it would look like a, a chinese sand scroll uh <laughs> You know, and I, you know, so, I mean, you talk about six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I mean, there's like, there's not enough degrees in a thermometer to fucking count the boning that goes on in that show. I mean, I'm just now literally able to come back into the room and go, okay, I can be in here with so-and-so and and that person or that person, you know. I mean, I think they're coming up with insults while they're fucking. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's but you know the show's not for everyone and you know so it's like you have to have a real thick skin but, and, but also like dude i'm i love watching comedy at the store i love the or i love hanging in the back and watching people and you know insult writing is a different beast well I, i've said this before uh and i think it's the best analogy is like uh, being a good roast battler is like being a good slam dunker in the NBA. That's a good analogy, yeah. Uh, from the standpoint of the best. Now, back in the day, Dominique Wilkins, Michael Jordan, 
they used to be the, some of the best players. Yeah. But, you know, now it's like... It's a guy averaging 4.9 points yeah, a game. But he's got like this amazing vertical leap, and when nobody's guarding him, he can like bounce the ball high in the air and jump over a Kia and, and do a spinning back dunk. You know, you can't really do that uh, with, uh, you know... <laughs> A defender on you. Isn't that crazy though? Speaking of sponsors, like that's all I know about Kia's is their NBA sponsorship and them being dunked over. Yeah, with Blake Griffin. It wasn't Blake Griffin, the guy. It was somebody like that. Yeah, I know he does ads for him. But uh, that's a good analogy, though. Earl is it is a slam dunk contest of comedy. Well, I mean, it, it's because you know there's some roast battlers and and uh who uh, aren't good comics but they're great roasters mm -hmm. and vice versa right you know, you, I, yeah i don't think i'd be a good battler well it, it depends i mean like you look at a guy like say uh i got yeah and i love this guy so i'm not this isn't like a hidden pot shot at this guy go ahead uh, shit on him uh, no no i'm not no, but no, uh dan saint germain okay awesome comic great fucking dude yeah uh he did a few roast battles, but you could tell he's like he's such a nice guy yeah. that he had trouble crossing that line. Yeah. Um and uh but as a comic, he'll bury a lot of people on stage. Completely. Uh and then you look at I mean th this is where I won't mention names, but like you know, you look at some people who, you know, don't have a good 5 minutes, but they can, you know, you know, they're such self-loathing fools, girls and guys that they can uh you know be a good battler yeah so it's uh but you know that's the crazy thing about tv credits is you know now anyone who's even come close to being on the tv show is using it as a credit yeah just outrageous <laughs> you know it's like the people who get on last comic standing on the blooper episode that like you weren't on last comic standing you buffoon. Uh, but, you know, you've got people who didn't even get out of the regionals for Roast Battle using it as their main credit. You know, but then there's people like Galern. Oh, he hates Roast Battle. I know, but I who have no credits, but I watch every time I see him. But Galern, that's, yeah. yeah. That's a crazy thing. It's like, he should be a star. He's like the funniest dude I know. This was a Tuesday. I was hosting the main room and I go in the OR. It's like 12 30. You probably remember this night. 12 31 a.m. Quentin Tarantino's in the bucket seats laughing his ass off at Galern. Yeah. It's just like. That's insane. Why, uh, you know, why certain comics make it, why some don't. It's just like why certain TV shows, uh, you know, make it, some don't. I mean, even with Roast Battle, I, I, here we, I said I'm not going to talk about the show, but it's like so prevalent <laughs> in the comedy world. You know, I had people come up to me when it was kind of first starting to gain a little steam, and they're like, this show will never work on TV. And I'm like, why do you say that? It's standing room only every night. And this is when it was like probably, you know, like, uh, you know, it was maybe more crowded than it should have been. Uh, but that's what added to like the ECW like fucking energy of the room. Right. They're like, well, no one's going to watch two open micers shit on each other. And it's all inside jokes. And look at, you know, look at it. No, shit. people always watch other people shit on each other. But I mean, in theory, I see what they were saying. It's like if you and I, you and I are unknown comics for the most part, mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, if we did a roast battle, be like, well, we don't know who this ex-girlfriend is, and we don't know who uh, he he just said Lucas was gay and sucked this guy's dong off in the main room. Like, we don't know who that guy was, so we don't know if he's lying. You know, and like, I've heard people say things on in, in battles where it's like I didn't know that about that person. It's almost like they're they, you know what I mean? Like where they're making up some something to slam somebody on you know like i mean i've never told a lie in a roast battle i think that should as be you one. should that should that's the one rule i would think that you well i mean there's no written rules of roast battle it's not like there's you know a fucking okay you can't do this this and that uh but i do think that you know anything can be said uh and as long as it's true i don't you know think it's uh bad or wrong like you know we all sign up for the show uh, you know, I sign up for that Earl so old, this joke. Uh, Earl likes girls so young, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, if, if, if I was going to battle Earl, what would you, what would I be attacked on? Tell me right now. Uh, probably your personality. Okay. Like you're quiet. Uh-huh. Like you're not like loud or anything. So it, it, you know, but that's hard to like, you can't say you're not funny. They can't attack your career because the odds are whoever you're battling is not a paid regular. So, you, you know, it's like, all right, well, you know, I might not have made it, but I'm, I got my name on the wall. Yeah. Yours is on the wall, you know, Norms. Uh, Bitt- Biddlecomb had a great... You remember Josh Martin used to have that show on the patio during the day? Yeah, like the afternoon open mic. Yeah. And uh, Biddlecomb, he's like... I had a set and I told him I ate it and he said, dude, you haven't eaten it until you've bombed right next to your name on the wall outside. Because where his name is, is right where the mic stand was. And he'd work the phones and he'd go do five minutes downstairs and then run back and, you know, or do a few minutes, whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, so that's, I mean, other than that, you know, you're a good looking dude. You get some pussy, so you can't really like. Thanks, buddy. Uh, you know, you can't really. I might, like, I might start battling now. I'll I mean, they like, could make fun of you for still working there. Yeah. You know, but it's that's like. Well, the, that's the interesting thing about like being past it. Because I've always believed like, you know, Willie Hunter is a great friend of mine. I thought he did it wrong, though, because he quit the comedy store as a door guy and then got passed. You know, it's not the kind of job that you quit. No, even like, even, you know, I tell people, you have to audition now to be a door guy. Right. Like it, before it was just, you get hired. Like, oh, you do comedy? Great. Oh, is, are you funny? Uh, now you, you have to be like funny. Yeah. Which have, is crazy. Have you ever recommended anybody to be hired there? Uh, No, because uh, I mean. I, or put in a word for anybody. You know, I know there was one person who wanted to get a job there and, you know, you you're not nice to daddy. Daddy has a reach. <laughs> the only guy I ever vouched for was Luke Schwartz. So I, I, I consider myself one for one. Yeah, he's great. I mean, yeah. he, he, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I mean, there's not, because you have to like factor in several things at the store. The improv, it might be different because it's like, you know, you don't necessarily have to fit in at the improv. Like it's a pretty normal environment uh at the store you have to figure out okay is this person going to be cool if you know they walk into a bathroom and two people are fucking uh are they going to be cool when uh you know david arquette shows up with his posse and wants to go on stage and you got to kind of 
tell him, hey, you can't really, you know, it's just like, you know, it's not really how it works here, dude. Uh, <laughs> Officer Dewey, uh, you know, you're going to be cool and like, you know, bring your show promoters busting your balls and, you know, you want to tell them to fuck off and you can't, you know, you know, uh, you, you know, there's, you have to fit in at the store first, I think, as a human. Yeah. Because no matter how funny you are, no one's that funny if you don't fit in as a human at the store. It's like a gang. Got to be let. You got to be let in. And once you're in, it's the best club on earth. But if you ain't in, you ain't in. And you know you're probably never gonna get in. It's like I had. A, well, I was hosting potluck last week. This week, I guess. Uh, and I had a girl. I mean, when I host potluck, I put three sheets of paper out in front of me. The first sheet is the actual potluck list. First 16 comics, I have no control over. You don't either. When you host, mm -hmm. you, you know, the host actually has no power at the, the store on Mondays. And then you have development spots. And then you've got the list of all the employees who have to get up. That's why they work there. So before me or Lucas or anyone can put up any of, of their friends they want to hook up, you got to put up 60 comics before you can even hint of bringing in one of your friends. Uh, and I had a girl come up to me and she's like, uh, yeah, I'd like to go on. I'm like, well, I'd like a 12 foot dick. Uh, I'm like, I'll put you down on my side list. You're number 12, but in full disclosure, I usually maybe get to number two or three. So, you know, that's the drill. And she kind of looked at me like, okay, well I'll come back and I'll be going on. And I'm like, I don't even know you, toots. So she comes back about an hour later, and she's like, is this going to happen or what? And I'm like, uh, probably not. And she just stared at me like fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi, like I was just going to go, okay, you can go next. Yeah. And then uh, you had two pop-ins that night, Neil Brennan and Dice Clay. And so, you know, they did about... You know, very cool. They could have done an hour each. What are you going to complain? Uh, they did about 10, 12 minutes each. That's 24 minutes of spots I can't give out. You know, so it's just like, you people are unbelievable. What was your first time at the store? Um, Hanging out. Like, wait, what's it like seeing Dice for you? Because I was oh, there that night. Yeah. I mean, the first time I saw Dice was... Uh, See, I was a fan of Dice's before I knew he did comedy because there was a show. There, there's a cult movie that nobody I know has ever seen but me, and it's called Making the Grade. And it's uh, um, Judd Nelson, like a really, really young Judd Nelson uh, was on it. And this rich kid named Palmer Woodrow, that was his <laughs> name in the movie, it, it, that's I just really thought of that. Maybe yeah. that's where I got the word yeah. Palmer from. Yeah, his name is Palmer Woodrow, and he he's a rich kid. He doesn't want to go to school, so he bribes Judd Nelson to impersonate him at this really Ivy League type school. And Dice played this like bar bouncer, and he was so young. I mean, this is like eighty three ish. I think it was before Breakfast Club, so it had to be maybe eight eighty two eighty one ish. And I'm like, wow, this guy's really funny. And then I saw him on an NBC show. Well, actually, he was in Johnny Depp's movie called Private Resort. 
Okay. Where Johnny Depp plays this horny college guy trying to get laid at a resort. What does Dice play? Dice plays like this horny tourist, but he was really funny in it. And then I became a big fan of his on the NBC show Crime Story, which was Michael Mann's first show after Miami Vice had really exploded. And it's, you know, we talk about shows, comics, bands, who, why some make it, why others don't. Yeah. I mean, Crime Story was amazing, but it only lasted two seasons just because it was just a period piece. It was very expensive to film because they really it was about 50s Chicago and then the second season was in Vegas. But Dice was the casino uh, like pit boss and he was so funny. And he, like you see little hints of Dice, uh, you know, the Dice man. But in this role, he's, he's acting and he's really good. Yeah. Um, and then like, you know, I know they were on the fence of canceling or doing a season three and, and, it's funny, Dice told me the other night at the comedy store uh, after I put him up, he was like, yeah, I kept telling Michael, man, dude, do a season three. I'm going to be the biggest star in the world. And like, you know, just a couple months, I did the Rodney Dangerfield special. I'm going to be the biggest comic in the world. And, you know, Michael Mann's like, you're a funny dude and all, but uh, yeah, probably not. And of course, you know, they canceled the show. And then Dice blows up like he said he would. And like, you're kidding me. You know, it could have been. I mean, that's like the beauty or the danger of Hollywood. Like, you know, if they would have given it a season three, it would have been a huge show. Oh, yeah. Dice would have been like a oh, guy. So never uh, give up. Yeah. I mean, Dice, so to bring, to get to bring up Dice Clay the other night was like, like, wow, this is pretty neat. It's insane. Dude, when I first moved out, I think there was like a, it was like a, Maybe I'm talking on my ass, but there's like a, I thought there's a pilot with Kevin Hart and Bill Burr in it. Remember that? Like a sitcom. I that don't. Got greenlit, but didn't make the next step. Didn't get aired. 2017, they're the two biggest comedians in the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, Kevin Hart's making like $60 million or whatever he makes. Bill Burr, he ain't hurting for cash. I've never seen a guy go to the comedy store and get more respect. Because he's like a comics comic. Like he's nice to everyone. Every time he sees me, shakes my hand. I don't even think he knows my name, to be honest. He does. I, I, no, he does. That's the crazy thing about him. But he's always very, like, very humble. And, you know, that's why, you know, it's like everyone should act like Bill Burr, Russell Peters, Kevin Hart. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, uh, who else? Uh, you know. Uh, Rogan. Rogan's like, you know, Rogan could be a dick. I mean. He could be. I'm he could saying. be, but usually the people who oh, he the is best. have it coming. Uh, you know, he could be like every time he sees me, he gives me a big hug and and you know, hey, what's going on? How's the comedy? And you know, he mentioned anytime he mentions your name or my name on uh, his podcast, he doesn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. I get like a hundred followers just from him saying Earl Skakel. He didn't. He can name a thousand other comics. Crazy. Uh, so it's he, like. If everyone were like Billy Gardell's another guy, like he's not a store guy, but like, you know, great, great guy. And like, it's not that hard to be nice, man. Mm -hmm. It's harder to be a dick. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Seems like stand up, though, it has fewer dicks. Because to be a great comedian, I think you have, you need the, the ability to empathize. Well, I think, I don't know. I would disagree with you there. I mean, I, I, I run across a lot of dicks. Yeah, not so much at the comedy store because they they get weeded out. Uh, you know, it's 
but but just in the world of comedy or in the oh, world yeah, of acting it's like yeah uh, but that's why like you know like i'm dying up here was so fun to work on there wasn't one dick on the show mm -hmm. like you'd think on a showtime show a hundred people on set at all times there's gonna be one dick or twat uh you know no extras were cool the boom operator mike guy was cool the the girl who wrangles up everyone was awesome uh you know obviously santino and griffin and al and ari and you know uh, steven guarino was just on uh the pod everyone was cool like you you were all rooting for everyone yeah. so uh you know it's just and it was a great show to work on just everyone like was such a positive energy behind the show so uh you know sometimes especially at the comedy store you don't necessarily get that positive energy not always but you get that real energy you know what i'm saying oh that's what i love about it so mark ellis always said that if you come in feeling good you'll it's it's the great equalizer if you come in you know feeling good about yourself you'll leave a little bit you know more centered and uh humbled and if you come in feeling like shit you're most likely to leave feeling a little better oh yeah i mean you know it's like you could have a great set and then, you know, the guy go, or girl going on after you kills, you're like, oh, wow, I still got work to do. Dude, that makes all the difference in the world. Like those Monday nights, I remember when I was just a couple years in and I ate it and then uh, David Tell went up right afterwards and everybody was eating it, you know, as far as the employees. So when you see him go on, you realize there is really no bad audience. I know it's easy to say and cliche, but everybody's reachable to an extent yeah i mean and then the, you also have to realize that you know there's some spots where you know especially in the or late night when we're going on or or you know where they just pick a comic they're going to leave after you know, yeah nothing to do with that comic who went on before you uh it's just you know they're tired they they if especially on like a friday night it's you know the twelve forty-five and beyond spots are tough because it's like they worked all day, and so they're picking. Say, okay, we're going to leave after Theo Vaughn, uh, or we're going to leave after Jamar, or yeah. or me, uh, and you know half the crowd could walk out, but it's not. It's really not that comic who just performs fall. It's they literally look at names on a board and go, "Let's stay till the one o'clock person." Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's my number one goal late night. It's like the other night when I brought you up. It's like I don't want to walk anyone for Luke completely. So, uh, and you didn't, that, that's I, what I've noticed too, is like, that's my goal at 1am. No one leaves. Yeah. I can do that. You know, you want to do well and you want to, I mean, it's not our job to set up the next comic, you know, I mean. At 1am though, I, I, to me, it kind of is too. I mean, ideally you should in the perfect world, you should have a good set and that sets up the next comic for a good set and so on and so on until Don gets up and he's set up by the last person. But uh, it was so crazy that last night, late night, I saw three people and the first and the third one both killed and the one in the middle didn't and the one in the middle kind of ate it and then you saw the mass exodus. You saw 70% of the crowd leave and I, and I remember seeing because I'm there almost every night and I see, you know, almost every late night like some of that is because he didn't do well 
Oh, yeah. I mean, if you eat it, the crowd's like, all right, this just gave us a little incentive yeah. to eat it. Yeah, they'll leave a couple before that 1 a.m. or that, uh, you know, midnight informal out time that they have in their head. If the guy, at, you know, 11.15 doesn't bring it. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, to the people who stayed, you just play to them and, you know, you don't. I mean, I always like to address the people leaving right when I get up. Go, thanks, guys. I appreciate the support. <laughs> Didn't even give me 30s. You don't even know my fucking name you're leaving. So <laughs> that usually will get a laugh, and then you go, all right, there's 20 people left. Let's yeah. go. I love what Ingram does where he pretends to kick him out. Yeah. <laughs> get this person out of here. <laughs> so, and, you know, you're always following someone funny at the store. Like, uh -huh. That's another thing that forces you to be a better comic. Like. Mm -hmm. Even like, uh, you know, tonight it's, I think it's, you know, toward the end, it's me, Joe, Dosh, Josh Martin, and then Don. It's like, all of us are funny. You know, there's no way. I mean, that's the end of the lineup. And it's Friday, so that's going to be a good crowd. Yeah. But like, even the night I brought you up, it's like, it was, I think it was uh, Eleanor, Jamar, uh, me, you, Don. I mean, there's not a weak comic in the bunch. Yeah. Like, we all have to work hard. Like. You know, you follow Jamar and Eleanor, man. They're, I mean, they set the room up. And, you know, hopefully I do for you and you do for Don. And, like, there's no weak spots on the lineup. No. So where, uh, while the plugs just came into my head, where yeah. where can people find you online? Dude? I'm at Lucas Hurl on Twitter, Instagram. Better uh, spell that out for my fan base. It's L-U-C-A-S. And then the last name is H-I-R-L. It's like girl, but with an H instead of a G. Growing up, I Wayne's World 2 made my life very hard. No, I bet. I, I remember on that box cover, it said, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll hurl. And I was about seven years old. And when were you born? 85. Oh, yeah. That's right. When Rat was in their prime. Oh, yeah. That's why I was born, Earl. The invasion of your privacy. You probably got fucking... Blowing out of your dad's dong to lay it down. Rat, rats not in their prime still. Not really. Amazon Prime, but uh, I mean, what got you into comedy? Like, did you like? But I'm gonna pee. I full disclosure. I'm very honest with my audience. I'm gonna set you up for a long-winded answer. Okay. What got me into comedy was watching All in the Family, Carol, Carol O'Connor, Archie Bunker, the Don Rickles roast, Foster Brooks. You know, I was like, wow, I, I kind of like. This is making me laugh. Who are your influences? Why'd you start? And I'm going to pee, but I'll be listening from the toilet. Okay. You're not taking the mic with you? You should. Yeah. How do you think, think this cord fucking cord is? Uh, good point. Um, Conan O'Brien, I watched every Conan when I was a teenager. I When he was the host of Late Night, he was doing some of the most original funny and you look at his cast of writers now ck marin or not marin but he's i remember watching marin on that show since i was a kid so to know him now is just insane to me and then uh mitch hedberg i saw mitch hedberg about five or six weeks before he passed when i was a college sophomore in iowa and i saw him with my brothers it was one of the best memories i ever had and I remember just watching him and he never, he never looked at 
the crowd. He always looked right in front of him wearing the aviators. And he was just a straight joke writer. Like, no one could do his stuff and his cadence. No. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah. Flush the <laughs> those, those were the two. Conan O'Brien and Mitch Hedberg. And now that I'm, you know, Burr inspires me every day as a redhead. Oh, he's amazing. And he's taking you out on tour, right? Yeah, I opened for him uh, at, at Iowa State University. And how many people were you in front of? About a few thousand. And how, I mean, Including I used, my parents, which is the worst. And how did you do? I did, I did fine. And did Bill Burr it, watch you? He said afterwards, he said, Lucas, I heard the crowd. I know you did well. Oh, great. Yeah. So... But, you know, and that's in the last couple of years, that's what I've gotten to do is perform in front of my parents, which really opens you up. In what way? <laughs> you just said it, Earl. Um, that reminds me of the old Tony Falcone joke. What's that? Tony Falcone, legendary uh, gay open micer, but kind of a weird dude. Like he was in his 50s, still doing open mics, uh -huh. really no shot at making it and i don't like to say that i mean anyone has a chance but like he had kind of given up but he still liked to hang yeah just not growing and like he, yeah he, he would wear like a gold's gym muscle top and he kind of had like the aids belly but uh -huh. like he was still in pretty good shape and uh -huh. he's like you know they say one out of every four guys is gay and he'd point to four guys in the audience one two three hello <laughs> uh, so uh you know he opened up for a lot of people <laughs> isn't that great though when but what was it like for you opening up in front of like 2000 like because i opened up for rob schneider for a while and it's like yeah. you know you're like in front of 2500 people not one literally other than your parents that night not one person is there to see you yeah they're all there for bill burr as they should be i mean no one knows who we are but like uh, you know it's an interesting position to be in yeah it's tough i mean you're literally like the the guy going on before the black guy in the gangbang you're like i just want to keep the crowd warm them up for bill or rob or whoever yeah I, but thank god i'm nowhere i would think it's weird if you're like you know, if you destroy and the guy following you doesn't, you know, that's a whole with Burr. He did two hours, man. And the best part was watching him on the side. And I asked, I asked Rogan about this too. You notice how much more animated you have to be in a theater. Oh yeah. You just can't sit there like a lump. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I wonder how Marin does it. Because even when he does theaters, he still sits on a stool. And that's like Rogan's like, yeah, you got to be way more animated because, you know, it's people are sitting in, you know, the triple Z sections. They want to know you're there. Well, I think the thing with guys like Marin is it's what we all want as comics is you, they've marketed themselves to people who love their comedy. So, right. You know, it's so like, they expect the stool. Yeah. So they get it. They don't need to necessarily yeah. be visually entertained. Yeah. Uh, you know, whereas guys like you and me got to do whatever it takes. To right. Attention. Like, right. I mean, that's really the brilliance of marketing for any comic is, uh, you know, it's like Hinchcliffe has narrowed it down to who finds him funny and the Death Squad fans and the podcast fans. And, He's got the pro wrestling fans. He's got, uh, you know, roasting fans. Jazz yeah, and the same thing. thing. 
you know, people who love roast love Jeselnik. Right. Uh, so it's like, I mean, yeah. that's what I try and do is market this podcast to people who like roast battle and, you know, like, so if I ever play a theater that's primarily filled with roast battle fans or hockey fans or wrestling fans, I can do what I want. How much do you talk about Kiss on this? Uh, what's well, funny, I've got Courtney Cronin, very funny comic coming in the podcast about two weeks from now. She just did like a Kiss cruise where it's Kiss on a boat. No way. Uh, and it's a Kiss fans. You know, you pay all yeah. this money and you get to see all these private concerts by Kiss. Uh, I don't, uh, I mean, I love Kiss, so I talk about it when I can, when it fits. Russell Peters is a big Kiss fan. Yeah, because uh, if I was alive in that time, I know I'd be, a, I would be a Kiss kid. Well, they just, they were the biggest band in America for like four years. Yeah. I mean, no one even came close to matching their success. And they did a disco album. and They, they did, did every kind of album, whatever was hot. They followed every trend in the world. They'd do a mariachi album if they thought it would make the money, uh, which is my, it might have been what hurt their uh, long-term, uh, you know, their longevity was they didn't really stick to their musical roots. So like uh, disco was big. They put out Dynasty, which is their basically disco album. And then uh, 1980, like, new wave and synthesizers came in like bands like the cars were big so they put out basically a new wave album it's like and their their hardcore fans are like what is this kiss songs with keyboards and like triple backing vocals it's like what is this and then like the pink floyd's the wall came out and they put out a concept album the elder you know and then uh like iron maiden and judas priest were getting big so they put like a hard rock album out and okay then they're getting back into their fucking roots and and then they hit a good run where you know they did like three or four albums in a row that they were just trying to ride the bon jovi train yeah and so uh they never really stayed true to their musical roots so they lost a lot of fans but then they got new fans and then they lost those fans and then they you know it's a and they're still touring and selling out, not stadiums, but like, you know, they still uh, pretty much fill wherever they're playing. Have you seen the, it just came out in the last couple of weeks, the cow that has, that looks like Gene Simmons. Yeah. The Gene Simmons cow. Yeah. I'm sure Gene's suing the mom and dad. <laughs> Gene's loves to make that money. Loves to make that cash. They license everything, including farm animals. I'm sure uh, animals. Gene Simmons is sending kiss coffins to Hurricane Harvey victims free of charge, but you got to pay for the shipping. Too, too soon, Earl. Too soon. Never too soon, dude. Never too soon. Yeah, I would. I would have loved Kiss, man. Well, what, what, I still do, but what you do? What? I mean, I, 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 I like Kiss a lot, but if I was a kid growing up in that, I would have been. Well, that's when they were in their prime. Yeah, like in their makeup and. Yeah, but I mean, growing up in Iowa. I remember ACDC met after Christ Devil Comes. Right. This is what I was told as a kid. So being an adult now and seeing them a couple times live like I have, it makes me like them more. Just because well, yeah. that's what I grew up around. And, you know, that, uh, that stigma that hard rock had. Well, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's like I tell people that are growing up with Schwarzenegger Terminators now it's like oh you guys didn't really see the real deal when he was roided out cheating on his wife with the maid fucking everything that moves you know that's the Schwarzenegger I grew up with you know and you're growing up with the guy with saggy man boobs and you know bloated roid totally. belly 
You know, it's like totally. Kiss. You know, you go see Kiss now, it's tough. Gene still uh, looks good, but... How's you know, Paul sound? I mean, he's fucking mid-60s, been singing for 40-plus years. I, I don't expect him to sound good, and he doesn't. You know, he, he talks the songs, and, you know, it's the same thing with, like, David Lee Roth. And, yeah, it's about to make the exact reference. Yeah, it's like... They were just attitude in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's for the first time I'm going to uh, lie on the floor and meditate while I'm conducting an interview. Are you still working out twice a day? Uh, I started taking hot yoga to help me deal with several personal crises in my life. Yeah. And uh, I lost about uh, 25 pounds, so I had to cut back on that. And Does then, it help you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you definitely lose weight doing hot no, yoga. I know, but it helps your mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the complete opposite energy of uh, roast battle. You know, and I love roast battle, but yeah, roast battle is not. Uh, if roast battle was a workout, what would it be? Um, P90X to Metallica. <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly, uh, you know, the the show if you're not in peak mental uh, condition, right? You know, because it's constant insults and zingers, and you got to be on your toes full time for a, a wacky left field roast joke about your uncle uh so yoga was great like uh you know just it's for your mind and everyone's cool like you know there's celebrities at this place i go to and they're like we're all in the same like uh level like no one's like oh my god this guy's a celebrity he should get up front it's like if that celebrity gets there late he's in the back corner uh so i like that about it it's uh refreshing yeah who so wants, who wants to sit at the front of a yoga class that's i've never understood that i'll well, show up first and take the back corner I mean, I used to, but I kind of like uh, the pressure of being up front in yoga. And, but that's the great thing about yoga is no one really gives a shit about what you're up to. It's They're there for themselves. And it's like that with life, too. Yeah. We but think they but I mean, like, you know, certain comedy situations, it's like, oh, my God, I, Earl's talking to Lucas Hurl, but Russell Peters is over there. We should go talk to Russell instead of talking to Earl and Lucas, who we know better. Uh, you know, Palming, Palmer Woodrow in it. Uh, so uh, yoga is like the complete opposite. Like everyone just be at one with yourselves and, right. you know, whatever. Right. So uh, I, I just needed it. I just remember, man, you would you would show up to the store late night just finishing a workout. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd go to two gyms that are right by the store. So I'd, you know, uh, you know, it helps my, uh, I get depressed if I don't work out. Yeah. If I skip a day, I'm like, fuck, I'm lazy or, or whatever. So, I mean, what's your workout regimen? I mean, I lift weights and I run. Pretty simple, but Piper always taught me, said push ups, pull ups, deadlifts, squats. Those are the four. You do those four, you'll be good the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're not bodybuilders, so we don't need to do fucking flying side raises hanging off a fucking T-bar bench. Right. Uh, you, know, if, you know, for what we want, uh, you know, it's it's that's anything you do with your own body weight is going to make you look good. I mean, especially like push-ups do so much. They do your arms, the biceps. You wouldn't think they would do your biceps, but you are supporting the arm with your bicep uh you know they do a little bit of your back and then 
you know, pull-ups do everything. I mean, if you can lift yourself up five times or whatever it is, yeah. you know, your own body weight, that's, you know, you don't need weights. And then squats, you can do even squats with no weight and, you know, your your, your body weight's enough. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I don't drink and working out helps with that. Didn't Piper get you sober or helped? He helps, definitely, because, I mean, he always said he was sober. He was, was for the most part. I yeah. Think. I mean, he definitely came up to the store a few times. We were like, oh, man, is he maybe uh, had a uh, relapse? Not but no sleep or, yeah. I mean, he's also there. Yeah, he was like, just got off a plane from Atten, uh, yeah. Atlanta. And now he's got to do an autograph signing with Abdul the Butcher in Seattle tomorrow. Right. You know, so uh, a lot of the times I think I was just mistaking it for just this insane travel schedule. But he told me exercise you know, helped a lot of those wrestlers that did get sober that he knew. Yeah, like DDP. Those, yeah. Right, right. DDP yoga, for those of you, uh, you know. I remember getting to meet DDP at Piper's Memorial at the store. Oh, he was great. And he's like 6'5". You know, most of those guys, how, how tall is Hogan now? 5'8"? He's not that tall. It's like, it's, that's the same height as me. Yeah. 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, but he's lost a few inches just from all the I think mass so. slams. Who knows what he's done to his... I mean, he's got like two hip replacements, probably a knee replacement here and there. So, yeah. Um, DDP got into it a little later in life. and Yeah, yeah. I mean, because he, he was like a stunt guy or something, and then he got into wrestling like, like in his late 30s, which is like basically the equivalent of getting into stand-up in your late 30s right. it's like all right well it's not impossible for you to make it but it's not likely uh but he right. he's done great he's like helped rescue uh scott hall and uh jake the snake yeah i'll say my other big motivation in comedy that was rodney dangerfield to me he's kind of the total package of joke writing and just bad looks yeah i mean he's proof that like you know that's the great thing about stand-up is you know you have a chance at making it at any age yeah uh you know if you're but you know it's not necessary i mean now it's a different like youtube stars and and vine and periscope and instagram you know uh people but like if you're funny you know it, it's you know your looks it's really the one business where being odd looking almost helps you it re yeah you, you know, know it, it helps to be like you know uh, like if you're a super good looking person and stand up it's hard because it's like well there's a million people who look like you actors and models and you, you know we can just get them uh but like if you're like oddly like i don't know whatever way you are odd and it, it helps you like oh we don't have a guy who's you know, 400 pounds and six, eight, uh, there's not many of those people walking around and you're funny. So it's, it's all kinds of, uh, I think comedy's the standups, the, you know, like if you're an actor and you know, you're going out for leading man parts, you gotta be a good looking person for the most part, yeah. you know, in comedy, like you don't, looks are almost, they almost hurt you to be like super good looking. Cause it's like, well, you're not believable. No one's going to believe that, uh, you have problems getting pussy. You, you look like a model. I'm sure you do quite well for yourself. Or some pretty girl talking about, you know, uh, I don't know, her pussy smells. Uh, you're too pretty for that to happen. 
So, uh, yeah, it's it's weird how it's like the opposite of the acting world where yes. there's a lot of people who aren't funny, but they're good look or they're not good actors, but they look the part. Well, that's a good thing about potluck is you're going up. You know, those you're performing with forty other people so at you minimum. Stand out at a minimum, yeah. So you have to stand out, and if you're a six foot two white guy like you and I are, or whatever. Oh, we're in the worst category ever. Yeah. So you better be you. You better bring something unique. Yeah, you better be funny because, like, I mean, it's and even more so than me from the standpoint of like to be an older white guy, even though I look younger. It's like still you go into a meeting. Oh, you're 48. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, what do you got going on? I mean, that's just the way the business is. But guys like Ronnie Dangerfield, you know, he, he proved that theory wrong. Right. And you know, Seinfeld didn't really pop till he was late later in the game. Uh, so you know, stand up's like the last true. If you're good, you'll make it. So what do you got going on before we leave? My tape's about to run out. All right. Um, this is no joke. This is no uh, Rogan podcast. We're on a budget. What do, what do I have going on? I mean, thought, I'm going on the road with Paulie here next month. When? Yeah. What, what? Where will you guys be playing? It's uh, October 12th through the 22nd. We're doing a few shows in each city. We're going through Columbus, Ohio, Cincinnati, I believe, Toledo, Lexington, Kentucky. So it's uh you know the middle of America where I was born and bred so you know and that's god man that's uh that's going to be an experience cuz I've I haven't been been to that part of I haven't been to Ohio or Kentucky and since I was a kid and I mean and once again Trump's America so yeah, I mean, and, and with like the Bill Burr thing, you know, you're opening up. They're all there to see Polly. They want right. to see the Weasel, and you know, a biodome, and in the army now. And they're like, all right, who's this big tall white guy? Where's right. Polly? Right. That Doesn't bite, mean you yeah. can't kill though. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's like, but I know how that crowd feels. Like every time I go see Kiss, in general, the band that's opening up is unknown. They're like the local yokels, and it's like, all right, these guys are great, but I want Kiss. Led Zeppelin could be opening for Kiss. I'd be like, get these guys off. I want to see Kiss. <laughs> so uh, always support the opening acts, guys. That's and true. one more time, sweet Lucas Hurl. Yeah. Uh, your Twitter and Instagram. My Twitter and Instagram, they're both at Lucas Hurl. It's L-U-C-A-S-H-I-R-L. Um, please follow me. And, uh, yeah, I got the road dates with Paulie, and the cool thing about being past the store now is – you know, got a couple other dates around town at the Improv and Ice House. So life is sweet, Earl. Yeah, and congratulations once again to you and Josh Martin. Thank you, brother. Uh, it's a big deal to be passed at the Comedy Store. And to all the door guys who showcase, everyone did great. Your time's coming. You know, the Frank Castillo's, Jay Lights. Uh, Luke Schwartz. Luke Schwartz, uh, Fung Chow, uh, Steve Randolph, uh, Chelsea Skidmore. Throw Hormos Rashidi in there. Uh, yeah, Hormos, Derek. Uh, well, Derek Poston didn't showcase because he hasn't been up there right. uh, long enough. The Ron Taylors, or you know, the, yeah. you guys, your time's coming. And, uh, you know, uh, Renee Lancaster and, and a lot of great people uh uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of talent at the store right now. So if you haven't heard of these people, you will soon. And uh, inappropriate Earl, SoundCloud and iTunes. This is Friday, Labor Day weekend. We'll pump out the podcast on Monday, Labor Day. And uh, stay safe. Leave a review on iTunes. And uh, let's make it happen in 2017. 
Uh, my birthday is September 17th. If you guys want to send me presents, I'm registered at the uh, Pleasure Chest <laughs> Sex Shop. 